Welcome to the Greenspeak Podcast. I'm Chris Enroth, a horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, based in Macomb, Illinois. And today we are talking about beneficial insects. And I cannot do this alone. I am joined by my colleague, Kelly Alsip. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I love talking about insects. Well, well, great. And and I think this is a topic that I, I see it a lot more online, on social media. People are talking about beneficial insects, and we're going to dive into that in a second. But first, you're new to the podcast here, and so the drill is we got to get to know you. So first, Kelly, where do you work? Where, where are you in Illinois? I am a horticulture educator just like yourself, based out of Bloomington, Illinois. So uh, I serve this area and the needs of horticulture education. Cool, cool. And so as a horticulture educator, you mentioned you like insects. I love them. I'm curious, how how did that all come together? Why why did you pick horticulture or the job? Like what, what brought you into this field? I, I think originally um, my mom gave me a Kalanchoe plant. And I started propagating the plant before I even knew what propagating meant. And I was in college at the time, and I was going to be a journalist. And I was studying those classes, and I didn't, wasn't doing very well. I just didn't feel the passion. So then I decided I'd go to U of I and study horticulture and never looked back. I've loved, you know, I've always knew that I was in the right place. I always knew that horticulture was my passion. So I went into greenhouse management and I got my bachelor's degree in greenhouse management. And then I started doing internships and realized that I didn't want to just water all day long. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Watering and pulling weeds. Yeah. And so with greenhouse management, a, a huge portion of your job is integrated pest management, managing these pests in the greenhouse. I took a job right out of college as um, research greenhouse specialist at the University of Illinois, where I grew a lot of soybeans and corn. And I decided that uh, you know I was going to be really great at my IPM, and I wasn't because even though I had this amazing arsenal of chemicals, I was getting pesticide resistance because I would have them in the greenhouse, these soybean plants and these corn plants. You know, corn, I might have them for three or four months. The soybean plants, I might have for, you know, 12 weeks, 15 weeks. And I'd be having to spray every single week trying to battle the spider mites and the thrips. And so uh, a colleague, um, two colleagues, actually, uh, Meredith Blumthal and Heather Lash, both, you know, graduated about the same time I did, maybe a little bit earlier, decided to um, start integrated in implementing beneficial insects into the greenhouse. Interesting. And everybody said it'll never work. But our, but our boss supported us and started buying these beneficial insects. And then, you know, Heather and I, we would really nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> By, you know, you really go in there. You start looking. You see how they do it. You're doing. You start manipulating your environment to keep the beneficial insects going. You start rooting for the beneficial insects. 
And so, oh my gosh, I just, it was everything for me. I mean, it was like a nerd at, in a candy store almost. Like, this was my, uh, my inspiration, I don't know. And so, I did get tired of watering plants and spraying chemicals and decided that I did want to go into education. And that is why I changed from greenhouses to uh, this extension job because I kind of wanted because I had a master's degree and I kind of wanted to use my master's degree a little bit more because I really love looking things up and going that kind of nerdy route and so then I had to figure out how I was going to translate this passion for beneficial insects in the greenhouse to teaching gardeners and naturalists about it and so that's where I started really uh, investigating beneficial insects, looking for them in the garden, wanting to talk about them. Because the average gardener goes out into the garden, looks at an insect and thinks, bad, bad, bad. And so that's my goal. My goal in extension is to teach them that all insects are not bad and, and we don't want to kill them all. That's, that's really interesting. So it, it seems like... Today, in like today's kind of modern greenhouse management, uh, growers, it seems like there's more and more uh, people in the commercial side that are embracing beneficial insects. But you said you worked in the research mm-hmm. greenhouses at U of I, and you were one of the first people to suggest, hey, um, or at least on the campus of U of I, they're like, maybe we should be, mm-hmm. instead of spraying all these things and getting all this resistance, maybe we should start introducing beneficial insects to eat our bad bugs and yeah i don't want to take credit from meredith and heather but yeah, we were the first three um actually heather and meredith had you know started dabbling before i even took the job and then heather and i just ran with it and took it to the extreme level now heather is rearing them in the greenhouse so heather has even taken it further past but yes it was it was definitely something that you know, if my researcher was, you know, a young researcher, you know, a grad student or something, it was really easy to convince them to do it. But if it was somebody that maybe had been growing corn for the last 20 years in the greenhouse, not quite as easy to convince them. But yep. I, you know, you know, nevertheless, it was like, oh, you can go in and access your plants anytime you want with beneficial insects. You don't have to stay out of your room for 12 to 24 hours. You don't have to worry about pesticide residue. And then it was easier to sell. In the industry, it's not as easy to sell because, you know, if I have a few pockmarks on my soybean leaves from thrips damage, it doesn't make a difference to that researcher. But if I have some damage on a particular plant, a hanging basket, a poinsettia, a chrysanthemum, then the customer is not very happy. So usually in the industry, they use these very early on before there's intense pressures. And they use it in conjunction with biological pesticides, which is what we did also. Um, So they are, you know, going forward a little bit, but just know that, you know, they have an unrealistic standard (laughs) to Mm -hmm. satisfy. So when you're in a greenhouse and there is a little bit of insect damage, 
you know, don't totally freak out. It, you know, it's natural. There's insects everywhere. Usually, you know, thrips and aphids and spider mites, when they are exposed to nature, those beneficial insects that I started to really research start taking care of everything for you. That's great. Well, so let's let's dive into this topic here. We're talking beneficial insects, but for our listeners, Kelly, tell us what are beneficial insects? How do you define a beneficial insect? Because there's a lot of stuff online that says, um, you know, this bug is bad, this bug is bad, this bug is bad. What are the good guys? Well, the bad guys are the ones that are going to eat up your plants and make them look ugly. Maybe eat up your kale or eat up your rose bushes. But the good guys are the ones that are going to go eat those guys or parasitize them. So there's two different kinds of beneficial insects. One is a predator, and that is basically like a praying mantis. And a praying mantis is a benef- considered a beneficial insect, even though he is a generalist. He'll eat anything. He'll eat a butterfly, a bee a caterpillar, anything really smaller than itself, but he's a predator, so he's going to munch them down, like an assassin bug. Another predator, they're going to munch them down. And then there's a parasite. And a parasite is, most people don't know, there's so many small parasitic wasps living and thriving in your garden. And what they do is they lay their eggs in the bodies of bad insects or good insects too Mm -hmm. they're not all just attacking the bad insects it's kind of this balance in nature and then their larvae of these little parasitic wasps are going to eat that insect probably from the inside out (laughs) hee hee and then they pupate and they turn into adult wasps and so um, it's just really cool, you know, how they do because, you know, I'm always, when I'm teaching beneficial insects, I always have to emphasize that we are, you know, yeah, we do have the predators that are going to munch down the insects, but we also have the parasites. And what they need is they need, the adults need food and the adults need pollen and nectar. And so if we don't have flowers in the garden, we're not going to get the benefits of the parasites, the parasitic wasps. So we really need to have a diverse garden full of, you know, nectar resources. So that's what I'm always teaching when it comes to parasitic wasps. And there's so many different kinds out there. They're working. You don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking to people about creating a garden or attracting predators and, and parasites, parasitoids, what plants do you say, like, you know, plant this and, you know, you're going to have a better chance of attracting them into your garden? What's the best plants out there for, for these bugs? Um, I really like pluralism. I think it's really easy to grow. Sometimes it, you know, it comes back. Um, and you can, uh, you know, have low-growing sweet alyssum where it's, you know, growing, you know, flowers and per- providing pollen they, they tend to like really small flowers so um, you know maybe like uh, dill or cilantro and flower they even love like broccoli and uh, 
mustard flowers. So even though, you know, sometimes you know when the broccoli gets away from you, just let it go. Um, they tend to like those smaller flowers. Herbs are uh, excellent when it comes to beneficial insects. I also really love just the the standard um, uh, perennials and annuals that tend to attract pollinators are going to also attract beneficial insects like your cosmos and your zinnias and your lantanas for maybe an annual and then you know your sedums your fall blooming sedums your coreopsis your liatris and your cone flowers so usually if it's uh, something that will attract butterflies and bees, it's probably also going to attract some of the beneficial insects. So Kelly, you mentioned that in your greenhouse experience that you would purchase and, and release beneficial insects in the greenhouse. Is this something that that we can do on our own home gardeners or should do? What What's your recommendation on that? Yes, I do think that there is definitely a possibility. There's not a lot of research out there, so you would be kind of your own scientist. Um, one of the things that I would want is that you can't eradicate a, a huge population of insects, but you must release when you have a smaller population because they couldn't, they can't keep up. So, um, for instance, let's say you had aphids in a tree and you knew you were going to have aphids again, you could potentially, um, you know, buy green lacewing larvae. They are going to just crawl up the tree and start eating the aphids. However, if you were to buy um, ladybugs that will fly away, let me tell you, they will fly away and they're not going to control your population for you. So, stuff that can't move away off of your target uh, plant could possibly be a really good thing. Another thing that I've really wanted to experiment with a little bit more is our, our favorite beneficials in the greenhouse were predator mites and these predator mites would eat spider mites. And if you had a, a potential problem with spider mites or knew you were going to have it because if you have it the first year, probably going to have it the second year. What you do is you release these predator mites on your shrubs or whatever has the spider mites. And they could definitely, definitely work. Um, will they, could they possibly be eaten by other things? Yes, I don't know for sure. But uh, I would love to experiment with <laughs> those predator mites. I've seen that like those predator mites are super cool too because uh -huh. they um, they take on the color of whatever mite they fed on last, and so if they feed on like an orange mite or a red mite, they will take on that color because they're basically. I mean, I, I is this correct? Mm -hmm. They have this piercing mouth part that they stab their prey with, mm -hmm. and they just suck out the innards. Absolutely. Oh, that's very sci-fi. They do it as gross as possible. Oh, that's so. So, and, like, science fiction horror movie-esque. And that's why, you know, I think that, you know, that you could really, you know, potentially, you know, buy this. What you do is you buy a, a liter uh, in a plastic bottle, and it's full of bran and these predator mites, and you just sprinkle them on your plants. And the fact that we find them in nature already, I, I think it could really, really work. So if you have like a large shrub planting or something, I think it could really work. Okay. So 
you, you mentioned you really like uh, these predatory mites. So I want to uh-huh. ask you, what is your favorite beneficial insect? I probably have two. Okay. Or three or four. No. It's hard to pick. That's I, I I hate it when people ask me what is my favorite tree or perennial. It's like I how, how do you pick? I love the green lacewing. You know, it's this beautiful dainty pollinator uh, as an adult form, but as a larval form, it is a ferocious aphid-eating monster, <laughs> and it does exactly that. It'll stab. It'll, it'll actually, it has these kind of mandibles that if you look at them up close, really does kind of look like a horror film. And it grabs its prey and it, uh, you know, sucks it dry. It actually injects a little bit of venom in there that will kind of break down the tissue a little bit and suck it dry. And they'll eat, you know, they'll last for like seven to ten days before they start pupating and they'll eat hundreds and hundreds of aphids. And the one thing that I love that they do is there's two things. Um, I love it that they'll, even though they're not going to eat the aphids, sometimes they'll just stab them and throw them to the ground. Whoa. (laughs) And that is good for aphids, you know, because aphids are kind of dumb. Yeah. And they, you know, have, you know, a hard time reestablishing themselves. But uh, that's why sometimes if you go out there and just hard water spray an aphid population and knock them off the plant, you've kind of broken off their mouth parts. But uh, another thing that green lacewing do that I think is super cool is uh, we, we know that aphids are big, dumb, and full of sugar. And they poop sugar, and it's called honeydew. Well, ants love this honeydew and so they'll actually farm these aphids and protect them and carry them around on the plant and eat their poop yes i know wonderful now how does a green lacewing larva get past an ant well what this green lacewing larva does is it will cover its body with lichens or plant debris or the dead bodies of its past victims and then it will sneak into the aphid population past the ants and start devouring these aphids that are big, dumb, and full of sugar. I think the neatest thing is this is all happening on like the underside of a plant leaf in the garden somewhere. That's just so yes. cool. And let me tell you, if you do not spray chemicals in your garden and you have you know, a nice array of flowers... I can find beneficial insects in your garden like that. And I'll find five or six species. No problem. And, you know, sometimes gardeners are like, please, Kelly, stop looking at the insects. I'm like, no, thank you for not spraying. Because, you know, especially if I find an aphid population, because, you know, man, aphids just, I just go crazy when I find aphids because then I can find, like, tons of beneficials. Mm-hmm. Well, I had that same, I watched ants farming aphids on my hops and I thought oh no it's and I, I watched them take a ladybug larva and they just pick the ants just pick it up and they just throw it off the mm-hmm. the plant it's it's really interesting to watch I thought oh I'm gonna have to spray the hops and so I came back I think a day or two later and they were all gone so something came in and took care of the problem for me and and actually in our garden this year we did not spray at all 
which I'm really surprised. And we included things like sweet alyssum. Uh, we had different sunflowers that we interplanted with all of our vegetables. Uh, we had borage that we planted with our vegetables. And it was it was actually really, really cool to watch. Not only did we have all kinds of pollinators, but great predatory insects. Lots of wasps showed up. And a lot of birds showed up. And, and we didn't have that much issue of pests. So folks listening, this this really does work. You just have to... You have to give the system time for it to to adjust, and but it's really cool when it works. Yeah, and I think sometimes in extension, when people call us up and they're like, "Oh, I've sprayed my fruit trees for scale over and over and over," and the best piece of advice that we can say is, "Stop spraying." Yep. Yep. Stop spraying, see what will come in beneficially and take care of that scale for you. Because sometimes, I mean, yeah, there's a point to where uh, maybe you don't have beneficial in insects in the garden. But if you did, you know, plan out your garden like you did and put some of those flowering plants that you know are going to uh, attract them. But, you know, most of the time, nature is already taking care of itself out there. And... You know, that's just what I want to show people is like, you know, yeah, you have this aphid population, but you have all these beneficial insects. So then that kind of drives us to the next part of the podcast here, mm -hmm. homeowner questions. And, and like you said, a lot of times we get the phone call, something's eating my plant. What do I spray to kill it? So I have three questions here. And um, these came from, these are actual homeowner questions that came into our office here um, in West Central Illinois. And I would like to, I'd like to read them off to you and just, if I can get an answer to some of these homeowner questions um, and, and hopefully help to also improve our beneficial insects. Mm -hmm. So are you ready? Yeah. All right. So the first question here. Um, comes from a homeowner in Knox County and he was putting in a paved patio and he saw this, this huge insect on the ground and it, he said it looked like a wasp but it wasn't flying it was just hanging out around this hole in the ground but he said it was, it was very large uh, size was two and a half to three inches long and he said it was as big around as his thumb and so he wants to know what it is and does he need to spray it to kill it is is it gonna hurt him so what do you think this is kelly um i do think it's a cicada killer or it could be you know that great black wasp which we call spider killers too that we see later on in the summer they're actually amazing pollinators um, but what they do is they overwinter in the ground for the majority of the year and um, as soon as those cicadas start singing, these guys come out of the ground and start doing their job as pollinators, but also as beneficial insects. What the female is doing is she's grabbing up a cicada. She's taking it back to her ground nest. She's laying eggs on that cicada that's been paralyzed. And her larva will have plenty of food. Um, for the majority of the year that it, it stays underground. And then again, when the cicadas begin to sing, that larva will come out of its pupa and be an adult wasp. 
Now, the females are the ones that are really the beneficials. Doesn't mean that the males aren't great at pollinating, but the males are unable to sting. And they're usually the ones that are coming up to you because they are intrigued by you and making sure you're not another male in their territory. They like open, bare ground. So if you have a patchy lawn, you have areas around pavers like this, they are definitely attracted to it. I would never spray this insect in a million years because it is a wonderful beneficial insect for us and even with ground bees but ground bees what I would do is I would deter it from laying its eggs there again and the way that you can do that is plump up your lawn overseed plant ground covers saturate the soil so it's wetter because they don't like digging in wet they'd rather have it be dry I would personally as an insect girl think be happy if I saw this in my garden and I see the cicada killers all the time and think they're really beautiful. Yeah, they are really, really cool. But we always get these questions in the office about cicada killers. A lot of people are very nervous. So don't worry, folks. The male doesn't have a stinger. Uh, and that's he's probably the more aggressive of the two. And the female, she won't sting, right? She Or she's not prone to stinging humans. I mean, she's capable of stinging, but... You know, you'd have to like really be all up in her business. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like grab her and squeeze her, you know, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so as long as you're not taking these these giant um, hornets and squeezing them in your hand, you're probably going to be okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And so second question here. Uh, this is a client that uh, was from McDonough County where I'm at. And so this person, she she called in. Uh, recent question uh, being, uh, we're recording this in mid-November, she has bugs in her house and she found out that they were Asian lady beetles and would like to know how to get rid of them. So what's what sprays, this, this is her question, what sprays do we recommend to kill these things? Um, I would never spray um, a pesticide in my house for Asian lady beetles and I don't think U of I would recommend that either. Correct. Uh, Asian lady beetles actually were released on purpose um, by farmers for soybean aphids as beneficial insects. So even though they can be quite annoying to you homeowners, they are rather beneficial in our environment and um, prevent uh, soybean growers from spraying more chemicals. So uh, you can say that as a, uh, is it a, is it worth it? To me, it is. Again, there's no quick fix on getting rid of Asian lady beetles. One of the biggest things that we say when you have insects coming into your home during the winter is exclusion. Find those places where they're coming in and caulk. Um, it's probably too late uh, now being uh, uh, in the middle of November, but uh, next year you can definitely do that. The one good thing is they're not reproducing in your home, and um, they're only going to come awake when or move around when it gets really warm. Uh, lots of people vacuum them or knock them into vats of soapy water. You could make a game of it on a Saturday night with your kids. Just walk around with little jars of soapy water. Yeah, this is not the one that, you know, Asian lady beetles not really wouldn't think that U of I would be really, really concerned with these. 
Um, what we're starting to see is, I'm very interested in invasive insects also, is brown marmorated stink bugs. Yes, seeing a lot of those here. And they're starting to crawl in our homes. And this, they're the same way. They're, you know, they're like the Asian lady beetles where they're used to overwintering in the cliffs. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen very many cliffs in Illinois. Mm-mm. So the next best thing is our house. And so if you want to get rid of them, too, you need to start thinking about how things are getting into your home. Otherwise, you're going to be sharing it with them for a while. But those are not beneficial during the summer like an Asian lady beetle is. There actually could be a bad pest for the home gardener. Definitely, we've, we're seeing a lot of Asian lady beetles, brown marmorated stink bugs. Some people call in with box elder bugs, but the the big uh, thing we tell homeowners don't spray them and you know if you need to that soapy water trick i now have a a plan for an activity for my kids on a lazy saturday evening yeah. or something like that so very cool thanks kelly um we have a, a one last question here we had a client that called in and this happened um late summer uh, she called in saying she had bees in the ground around her rose bush and she wants to know how she can get rid of them without killing them. So so tell me, Kelly, if we're seeing swarms of bees coming out of the ground late summer, I guess, first of all, I mean, are, are these actually bees? What what are we dealing with here? You know, I'm not totally for sure. I know that there was, um, I know that you um, gave me a tip um, from Ken, which definitely is one of our great um uh, really good with insects you know usually the bees that you know we're thinking about that are great pollinators are probably going to come out in the spring and start pollinating then and start making ground nest or making nest in the pith of stems I mean this could be um, yellow jackets but you know uh, one of the things that um, happens is with bees and yellow jackets is eventually they're gonna the the nests are gonna die down and they're gonna want to go somewhere different and so really deterring would be um, the best thing that I would do and I would not spray because um, unless you know they're hurting your health um, you know it's like when you see those uh, when you see the wasp nest on the side of your house, what do you do? Do you do you spray it to get rid of it? Um, I don't know. It wouldn't be the first thing that I would do unless there was a health concern. Um, I would just try to avoid that area and allow those yellow jackets to pollinate plants, and they're they're not going to go in the same place each year. Yeah, I'd, I'd say like probably the most of the time when folks call this type of question in, you know, late summer, you know, I, I always kind of assume that's eh, probably a ground nesting hornet like a yellow jacket. But mm-hmm. the first thing to do is to get a positive identification of what you're dealing with. So if it's going to be a, a ground nesting hornet, there is the higher likelihood that they're going to be aggressive uh, as the flowering plants start to fade in the fall and their food source goes away. But if it's in the out-of-the-way section of your yard or up in the high eaves of your home, 
there's really nothing that you need to do about it. Just live and let live. Um, one thing I learned when I had them in my yard is they don't, they're not going to come back next year. They, they do not re-inhabit old uh, hives. Yeah. So first step of the, the game, identify so we know what we're dealing with. So very good. Well, thank you, Kelly, for for being on the Greenspeak podcast today. Re- really appreciate your time uh, hanging out. And I think we just scratched the surface with beneficial insects <laughs> and we need to have you come back and maybe talk more about like specific things like that. That whole thing about wasps. I think we should I think we should do that. Um, just I know talk about we could wasps. talk for 30 minutes on beneficial wasps. Oh, that would be cool. So Kelly, how do folks that are listening, how do they follow you? How can they reach you if they have questions about things? Well, I mean, definitely I love um, identifying pictures. If you take a really good picture, you can email me at kalsip at illinois.edu. Another thing is I have a blog called Flowers, Fruits, and Frass. I blog about everything, but I do love talking about insects and beneficial insects most of all. And I'm on Facebook. I'm Livingston McLean Woodford Master Gardener Facebook. So um, you can always give send me a Facebook message. I want to thank you, Kelly, and thank you everybody for listening and keep on growing.